The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. Anything I say, you've heard a sermon. And we thank you for that, Patrick. Thank you for being with us today. Again, I want you to open your Bible, if you will, to the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians. If you were here last Sunday, I alerted you to the fact that for three weeks we were going to be pitching our mental tents around just 12 words in Ephesians 5, verse 17. Many times when you come to church or read Christian literature, you're exhorted, rightly so, to do the will of God. And granted, most of us in our more sane moments want to do that. But before you and I can ever do the will of God, we first of all must know how to understand God's will. And so that's the purpose of these three sermons. Last Sunday, I mentioned to you that it's better that we keep in mind three dimensions to God's will, that we talk about it practically, which we did last week. We look at it today biblically, certain things the Bible says is God's will. And then we will look at it personally. That's where we have most of our questions is personally understanding the Lord's will. But here's what Paul says in verse 17 of Ephesians 5. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Will you say that verse with me? Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And the negative part of that verse, I think, do not be foolish is given because foolishly sometimes we just categorically say certain things that are hard to understand of the will of God when it's not remotely God's will. And we talked about that last week. When we looked at the practical dimension to the will of God, we mentioned that there are three words you ought to keep separated in your mind. There's the intentional will of God. There is the permissive will of God, things God permits to happen that he doesn't intend to happen. He permits them because we have a will, the intentional will of God, the permissive will of God, and then the ultimate will of God. Ultimately, God is going to bring certain things to an honorable conclusion. Now, with that in mind, we come today to talk about understanding God's will biblically. Now, I said to you last week, and I want to repeat again today, to understand God's will has never been easy. I don't want you to get out a pen and say, now if I can just write down these notes, I'll never have any more problem understanding God's will. That's not it at all. To understand God's will has never been easy, but we ought not to be surprised at that. Why? I know people it's hard for me to understand. You know anybody like that? You ever looked at somebody and said, I just don't understand how they can act like that. And sometimes it's our own children. Now you're laughing, but you know what I'm talking about. There are times I don't even understand my wife. I'm just confessing. 
She'd rather go antique shopping than go horseback riding with me. I can't understand that. I'm joking you a little bit. We don't always understand other people. If we, don't, if we have problems understanding each other, how much more could we have problems understanding God? Now, hear me carefully when I say this. The fact that you and I cannot understand God completely should not be a surprise because God is infinite. God is limitless. God is unbounding. God is incomprehensible. That is, His infinite nature cannot remotely be understood by our limited, finite mind. If I could cram all there is of God into my little brain, He wouldn't be God at all. May I say that one more time? If I could cram into my mind, my little mind, all there is of God, he wouldn't be God any more than if you took all the Atlantic Ocean and put it in a teacup, it wouldn't be an ocean. It'd just be a cup full of water. So you don't be surprised when you have difficulty understanding, comprehending God, because God is God. And yet, we are told to understand what his will is. Now, <clears throat> the fact that you have trouble understanding God doesn't make him less God. It makes him more God. That makes us do what we've sung about. We want to bow in his presence and adore him and worship him. He is God and we're man. He's above us. His ways are above us. His thoughts are above our thoughts. So God is God, but he does tell us to understand what his will is. Is. Now today, we want to try to do the best we can to look at it biblically. Now let me preface what we're going to see here in the Bible by giving you a guiding principle, not just for this sermon, but for any time you're doing Bible study. Always, I have found it better if we interpret what we do not understand about God and about the Bible against the backdrop of what we do understand. One more time, that's the guiding principle. We must interpret what we do not understand about God or the Bible against the backdrop of what we do understand. For instance, when we come to the Bible this morning, I hope you can understand these passages, but then there may be other passages that pop in your mind and you say, well, I... I how does this reconcile? We know the Bible doesn't contradict itself. It never has. It never will. But we must interpret what we don't understand in the Bible and about God against the backdrop of what we do understand. And we do our own children that way. When we say, I can't understand how you would do something like that. We say that against the backdrop. We know who they are. We know what they're like. We know their strengths and we know their weaknesses. And so... We don't pitch them out of the family. We just pull our hair out and go on. My point is that we interpret what we don't understand about somebody against the backdrop of what we do understand. Now, please do that throughout uh, this little message here on understanding God's will biblically. Five things quickly I want to fix in our mind that I feel the Bible teaches is the will of God. Black and white. The Bible says these things are God's will. Number one, our salvation. These wonderful young people that we saw baptized a few moments ago had preceded that by an altogether more important thing. 
they had made a commitment of their lives to the person of Jesus Christ. Now, before they were ever born, God knew who their parents were going to be. God knew what was going to happen, but God didn't make it happen. God knew that it was going to happen, and what they were doing this morning was in fulfillment of God's divine will for them. I said to you last Sunday, and I believe it with all my heart, the intentional will of God is for everybody to be saved. Now, don't leave and say, Charles said everybody's going to be saved. They're not. We're going to be talking about world missions here in just a few weeks and about giving that and praying about the lost people in the world. But the intentional will of God is that everybody be saved. Everybody's not going to be saved. The people who believe that are called universalists. But it's the intentional will of God for everybody to be saved. How do we know that? Listen to the Bible. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you and with me, not wanting or not willing anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God doesn't will anyone to go to hell, and God wants everyone to go to heaven. You have a will. I have a will. We can respond to God's will in obedience, or we can not respond in disobedience, not to trust Jesus Christ by our own volition. In this service this morning, when we give the invitation, give everyone an opportunity who's never done what these young people have done recently to come forward and say, today, I want to trust Christ as my Savior and Lord. Not to do that, hear me now, is willful disobedience against God. It is therefore rebellion. It is man asserting his will over against the divine will of God. Back to the point. God's will, God wants everyone to be saved. God didn't make anyone in this world that he said, I don't want you to ever be saved. I don't care about you any more than parents would say, you got three children, you say, well, I hope two of them will go to heaven when they die, but I don't care what happens to the third one. Now, you may feel that way sometimes, but you just know better in your boat, better moments. That's not the way you really feel. You love all your family as well as individuals. God is the same way. God so loved the world, but you and I need to understand, if you had been the only person in the world, God would have loved you and sent Jesus to die for you for he loves us each and every one, and he wills us to be saved. I sometimes say it this way. God nominates everybody to be saved. And those who by faith accept the nomination are the elected. Now, anybody can understand that. God nominates everybody to be saved. God wants everybody to be saved. Jesus died for everyone. God so loved the W-O-R-L-D. What? World. World that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, that means me, that means you, believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So number one, God's will according to the Bible is that all be saved. All are not going to be saved. 
because God gave us a will. And you can accept or you can reject. You can become a Christian or you can die lost without Christ. But in doing so, we're asserting our will over against the will of God. Quickly. Secondly, it is not only God's will for our salvation, but this same Bible teaches that it is the will of God for all saved people to be sanctified. Our sanctification is a part of the will of God. Where do you get that, Charles? First Thessalonians chapter three, uh, chapter four, verse three. It is God's will. Now that's pretty plain English and pretty plain Greek. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. And specifically in that case, Paul said, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Now, when we talk about sanctification, a lot of people believe in it, but they don't know what it means. And then those who think they know what it means say, well, I know what sanctification is. Sanctification means to be set apart. Well, that's true, but not all the truth. It does mean that, I grant you, but that's not all it means. If all there is to sanctification is to be set apart, most Baptists are set apart. They're set apart from praying. They're set apart from Bible study. They're set apart from witnessing. They're set apart from tithing. You know what I'm talking about. That's not all there. Sanctification does mean to be set apart, but it means to be set apart for God to use. And there's a world of difference. Set apart, but set apart for God to use. Every month, my wife and I set apart at least 10% and usually more of our income that we give to the Lord through his church. It is his T-I-T-H-E. What? Time. And we set it apart. We don't buy groceries with it. We don't pay the car payment with it. We don't pay the insurance with it. It's set apart for God. Now, sanctification in the Bible is to be set apart for God to use. And may I say to you this morning, that is a part of God's will for your life and mine. Now, to the Thessalonians, they were having problems with their morality. And essentially what Paul is saying, if you'll read the whole fourth, first 12 verses of chapter 4, he says, Men, leave your brother's wife alone. Now, anybody can understand that. He says that you, it is God's will that you avoid sexual immorality. And so I appeal to you this morning to understand, as I said to you a few weeks ago when we talked about the power of your influence, Christians are called to be different. We're not to blend in to the world. We're not to just be, everybody said, oh, you're a Christian, wonderful. Come on, join in with our drinking and partying. No, Christians are called to be different. They're not oddballs, not screwballs, but we're called to be different. Our morality should be different. Our value system is different. Our conduct is different. Why? Not because we want to call attention to ourselves but because the Spirit of the living God lives in our heart and enables us to do His, know His will and then to do His will. So Paul is saying here, this is the will of God, that you be set apart. He would say to those, Thessalon uh, those men in Thessalonica, 
just because you're living in a pagan culture and because other men are committing sexual immorality, you're a child of God. Therefore, leave it alone. Don't do it. So, sanctification, set apart, being different, not just odd, different in a good sense of the word, that we have been called of God to be set apart for God to use, pure, holy, as far as our morals are concerned, honoring to God quickly. It is God's will for our salvation. Secondly, it is God's will for our sanctification. But then thirdly, it is God's will for our surrender. You remember that wonderful verse there, the hinge in the book of Romans, uh, that there at the beginning of chapter 12, the first part of the book of Romans are doctrinal. But Paul's doctrine always had a practical side. And whenever you see the word therefore, look and see what it's there for. And in this instance, he says, therefore, out of the light, in light of all the doctrine he's given us in that wonderful book of Romans, he says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your B-O-D-I-E-S, what? Bodies. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform in any way, any longer, to the pattern of this world. Or don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, as J.B. Phillips paraphrases this. But be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. What's he saying? When I surrender to Christ, then I am able to understand in my mind and to apply in my whole being God's will. I can't do it until I completely surrender to him. Paul doesn't say it here, but he says it elsewhere. I think what we're seeing here is the heart of our Christian faith. If you ask me to summarize in one little phrase what it means to be a Christian, I would say three words. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. If he is, you're a Christian. If he's not, you're not a Christian. It doesn't make any difference about all the other. There are a lot of other things he is. But when you say he is Lord, you're saying he is boss. He's number one. And that's what it means to be a Christian. Now, when someone is Lord, they're in charge. They are boss. And we surrender our minds and our bodies to them. And so Paul is saying, in doing this, you're able to know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If you're having trouble understanding God's will, and we oftentimes do, sometimes the reason is I simply have not surrendered myself to him. I said to you last Sunday, sometimes we say, oh God, if I could just know your will, if I could just know your will, please, dear God, give me your will. When the last thing some of us want to know is God's will. Why? Because we'd have to change some of the ways we're living. If I were going to be in God's will, I would have to change. 
And most of us don't like to change. And the older we get, the less we like to change. But if I'm going to know and do God's will, I must be surrendered to him. And when I say Jesus is Lord, that's the key to the whole thing. So what about understanding the will of God? Our salvation, unquestionably, is his will. Our sanctification, set apart for God to use, his will. Our surrender to him, his will. But then, a fourth thing, our submission, that is, to authority. The very idea of submitting means somebody is in charge. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 2, verses 13 and 15. <coughs> Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance talk of foolish men. What's he saying? It's God's will that we be submissive to every form of authority. Now hear me carefully. I don't want to be misunderstood. There are things where you and I have to obey we may not agree with. There may be laws of this land that you don't agree with. You may not understand why, you, why there's a 55-mile speed limit driving and you don't see any cars anywhere, so you decide to go through there 75 miles an hour. I promise you the patrolman's going to give you a ticket if he's anywhere nearby. Why? You violated the law. We may not like it. Now, if you don't like it, there are ways to change the laws. But as long as it's law, unless it violates my Christian conscience or the Word of God, my responsibility is to be obedient. Now listen to me carefully. We're living in a society that knows very little about what I'm talking to you about. Respect for constituted authority. And it begins in the H-O-M-E. Where? Home. Where mothers and dads rear their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. I'm not talking about child abuse, but I am talking about parental authority. And boys and girls, listen to me because I love you. The Bible says, children, O-B-E-Y, said out loud. Obey. Good. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. When children do not learn respect for authority in the home, we have problems everywhere else. You see what I'm talking about? Johnny, in his home, mother says, Johnny, don't do this. Johnny, don't you, Johnny, don't you do that. All right, Johnny, go ahead. That kind of parental nonsense that goes on all over America, then Johnny gets to school. And here's a teacher or a principal who represents authority. Johnny gets by with no respect for it at home, so he disobeys at school. He gets in trouble. Now, if I ever got in trouble at school and got a whooping, I knew that I was going to get another whooping when I got home. And today, parents are coming. Why did you whip my kid? Why did you spike? I know, not much spiking going on nowadays. 
But I'm telling you, Johnny needs to learn at home. Right is right, wrong is wrong, authority is authority, and I do what the teacher says. No questions asked. Now, you may not like the teacher, and the teacher could even be wrong sometime. But as long as they're the teacher, my responsibility is to do what they said. I used to say to my children when they were at home, I said, if I tell you to get in the corner and stack BBs on your head, start stacking BBs. Now, I said that foolishly because I wanted them to understand. Dad was, mother was in charge, and you respect that, and then they respect the teacher. They were the principal. They respect the teacher. Then it gets wider. They learn respect for the policeman. The policeman is doing his duty. He enforces the law. Johnny doesn't like it, so he kicks the policeman in the shin. Mother says, well, you know, don't worry about it. One day he may be a place kicker in the National Football League and make millions of dollars. No, he needs his little behind tan. Why? He's rebelling against police authority. Now listen to what the Bible says. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority for it is God's will. By doing this, we put to silence foolish men. People sometimes wonder what difference does Jesus Christ make anyway when they see our children and see you and me acting like there is no authority. So come back to what we're talking about. It is God's will that we be submissive to authority. One last thing. It's a secure thing. It's a positive thing. It's an encouraging thing. Not only is our salvation God's will, our sanctification is God's will, our surrender is God's will, our submission to authority is God's will, but also our security in Christ. Isn't it a wonderful truth to know well, where John says in John 6 verse 40, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. What does He say? It is my Father's will that everyone who looks to the Father and believes on the Son shall have eternal life. You don't ever have to worry if you're a Christian today about whether you'll go to heaven or not. I promise you, if you have, have, have received the gift of eternal life, you will never perish. If it was eternal, it lasts forever. If it doesn't last forever, it wasn't eternal to begin with. So make sure you understand your security is not based on just your holding out or your holding on or your doing the best you can or hope you'll make it. No, it's not a hope so salvation. It's a no-so salvation. I know whom I've believed and I'm persuaded. He's able to do what? To keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. So, our security, our assurance in Christ is the will of God. One more time. Do you really want to know God's will? And if you can know it today, here are five things. If you know it, are you willing to? to do it. Will you bow together with us for just a moment? With our heads bowed and eyes closed. I can't play God for you. I wouldn't want to. But if you understand God's will today,
we come to the point where you have a will. Are you willing to do it? Do you want to know it? Do you care? Are you willing to submit to his authority? If you're not a Christian today, I can promise you it's God's will for you to be saved. Right now, where you're sitting, if you'll bow your head and say, Dear Lord, and by saying that word, Lord, you're opening your heart up to him. I know I've sinned and cannot save myself, but right now, the best I know how, I repent of my sins and I ask you to save me. Help me to obey you in Jesus' name. I promise, if you'll pray a prayer similar to that, he will hear you and he will save you. And you can come right now in just a moment as we begin to sing and make that decision. If you're already a Christian, just say, Charles, I want to be a part of a church like First Baptist Pelham. They love the Lord. They love each other. I promise we'll love you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that enables us to understand it. Help us, O oh Lord, to know and to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand together with us? And as we stand, Paula leads us in the hymn, Come Every Soul by Sin of Press. There's mercy for the Lord. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.